to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is October 10th. It's 10-10. Happy day. Today we will be going through our AMAs. We'll be going through some growth metrics. We'll be going through our power rankings as well as some amazing, cool new offerings from the Pro Tour to support women's initiatives and breast cancer research. So stay tuned. This is going to be an all-Steve, all-day kind of episode. So if you love hearing me talk, get ready to be excited. All right. We're going to get into the AMA, the Ask Me Anything section first, and we've got three doozies today. The three questions today are, why did Idlewild move dates? In case you haven't heard, Idlewild moved dates. Uh, is it true that Jomez will not be at the Tour Championship? And third, uh, what was the total combined payout for the 2018 Tour and a bonus question, if a player, an MPO player, had won all of the events, how much would he have won? So, here we go. We're going to run through these one at a time. Why did the Idlewild Open move? So, we set up the schedule, and everything looked good, and then the European Open landed on the same day as the Idlewild Open. One thing the Pro Tour really tries to do is try to have, we try to have events every other week. That's that's our system uh, in five, ten years. That's the schedule that, that we anticipate having. So we're trying to instill that as much as possible. The Idlewild Open being two weeks after Deglo made sense. And then after the schedule came out with the majors on top of it, it became clear that moving the Idlewild Open back one week would allow some players, probably not all, but some players to come back from the European Open and have an opportunity to play in the Idlewild Open and still have time to go and practice the courses for Pro Worlds. So it didn't put a cramp on the style after the event by moving it back a week. Therefore, we decided to move it a week and give more players an opportunity to make more money. And more on that when we get to the third question. The second question is interesting. Is it true that Jomez will not be at the Tour Championship? We haven't made any announcements specifically about the media for the Tour Championship yet, nor have we had any specific conversations with Jomez about whether or not they will be there. Having said that, we do have plans to have live coverage and next day shot-by-shot coverage of two cards per day, on our channel. Everything will be released on the Pro Tour YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed already, please subscribe and hit that little bell so something goes dingling, I guess, when we put a video up. Uh, my daughter just tells me to tell people to hit the bell. So hit the bell. Anyway, um, the plan is to have uh, Corey Morell and Brian, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Brian. Uh, guys, maybe, uh, making, uh, as one of the teams making, uh, next day shot by shot videos. And the other team will be, uh, Craig and Chris from Parsave. They will all be making videos that will go on the Pro Tour channel and will be published the next day on the Pro Tour channel. 
And obviously, we'll have the live coverage just like we always do. Uh, we will actually, I think tomorrow, be releasing a media schedule which shows what what uh, what cards you can watch on what day. For the live coverage, we'll be live from noon to 6 every day. And uh, the edited coverage, there will be uh, one, one card on the first day, the FPO one card, and then two cards on each of the other days. And there you will have it. Our third question is indeed a fun one. What was the total combined payout for all 2018 Pro Tour events? And happily, I have that number right in front of me. The combined total payout was just over $460,000. And the follow-up, how much would an MPO player have made if he had won every event on tour? Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. We will work very hard to continue to work very hard. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if I edit that out or not. Okay, so an MPO player, if he had won every event, would have made about $43,000. Now, that includes the, the Tour Championship. Additionally, um, there, if, if he had won every event, he would also get a $2,500 bonus for winning the Points Championship. Plus, he would have won some prizes equivalent to about $4,000. So total prize and cash winnings would have been right around almost exactly $50,000. And based on the value of gold on the day of the tour championship, maybe it'll be over $50,000 because yes, they win a gold ring. So there you have it, $50,000 out of the $460,000 total payout. So that brings us to the next thing that I want to chat about, which is, well, basically every year, <laughs> every year, every year for the last one year, um, I've gone down to the PDGA Fall Summit and given the board uh, an overview as to how we've done over the past year. Uh, we, we did this in 2017, and we will do it again in a week or a week and a half, whatever it is, in 2000 and at the eight, 2018 Fall Summit. Um, I'll give a presentation about media growth and payout growth and that kind of things, and then Danielle uh, will follow it up with a discussion about the uh, our women's initiatives and how, how they have done and how we can improve them. So, But I wanted to run through real quick some of the fun points, some of the highlights that we're going to go ahead and give uh, at the PDGA Fall Summit, just in case you don't have an opportunity to be there. The first thing we were going to talk about, actually, which is interesting because it was the third AMA question, is growth of payout. And payout has seen a very steady increase. Uh, in 2016, it was uh, under a quarter million dollars. 2017, it was $380,000. In 2018, 460000 So, an increase of about 150,000 and then another 80,000 and then next year we should see an increase of about another uh, 50 or so thousand getting us well over a half million dollars for 2019. That is really exciting and uh, and it's fun to see us headed in that direction. The 
The second thing we're going to talk about at the summit is player growth. And this is really fun to see because uh, the number of players on both the MPO and the FPO side are definitely increasing at Pro Tour events. The goal is for Pro Tour events to sell out and to sell out quickly. We want to have spots reserved for the touring pros. We want to have spots reserved for, in my opinion, for people that cashed at last year's event. And then uh, also uh, players that are rated very highly using the PDGA rating system. So uh, in 2016, when we only had six events, we had an average of, we had 668 players total. Uh, in 2017, we went to nine events and we have 1,024. 2018, with nine events, 1,230. So, uh, and then in 2019, we're anticipating that number getting uh, over 1,300. One interesting thing is that some of these events, we are actually, the men are hitting a cap. Uh, and so the men's side is going to grow at a slower rate than the women's side. And the women's side has, in fact, grown much faster than the men's. Uh, starting out with a total of 89 competitors in 2016 uh, to 165, almost doubling that number in 17, uh, and then going up to 207 this year, we anticipate 259 next year. So the percentage of women playing these events is growing relative to the entire field size. As the men's field hits a cap, it's going to be interesting when we have to decide whether or not we need to cap the women's field or whether we need to put them on a different course or whether we need to lower the number of men at these events to make room for women, which seems like one of the fair things that we should do. Uh, when we look at the percentage of players that are women at, at these events, in 2016 it was 11%. In 2018, it was close to 15%. In 2019, it'll be over 16%. So the number of women participating at Pro Tour events is on the rise. We presume it is on the rise in disc golf in general and at PDGA events in general as well. And we will continue and even increase our, PDG, our women's initiatives at the Pro Tour events. Uh, hopefully in partnership with the PDGA again next year. Um, oh, now we're getting into the media side of it. And this is where I get excited, so please bear with me. Um, in 2016, I want to go back, back, back. In 2000, and I think it was 8 or 6 or something like that, uh, my, my brother-in-law Bob and my brother Todd uh, rigged up a a uh, computer in a backpack with a modem, and uh, and I have a really nice picture in, upstairs in the sap house of of Bob following Todd, uh, typing away on the computer while he's trying to debug something. Uh, there were probably people on the internet at the time complaining that the the live stream didn't look so good, um, but at the time people watched for an average of eight minutes. Honest to goodness, we did a three and a half four hour broadcast in 2008 of the uh, Vibram Open and people watched for less than 10 minutes on average, which is, I guess it's something. But uh, uh, for what we were trying to do, it was, uh, it was absolutely fine. I remember Billy Crump was walking alongside my brother, had a cord going into his backpack. Um, we had to change out batteries. We actually have battery stations along the course so that things didn't run out of battery. 
lots of things we did that we don't have to do anymore. Uh, thank you, technology. So uh, anyway, from that, from those humble beginnings of less than 10 minutes, in 2016, the average watch time was 22 minutes. That was that's almost real. Like some that means some people, probably about one in five, are sitting down and watching a really good portion of the show. Um, in 2017, that number jumped to 34 minutes. And in 2018, that number jumped to 40 minutes. And in fact, from the Idlewild Open on, so Idlewild, Ledgestone, and MVP, the number was 45 minutes. I think it was actually 45-14, if you combine all three of those. So we're actually doubling the last three events is that have actually doubled the watch time from 2016 tremendous growth this is because we're putting on a good show and good golly wait till you see what we're going to do next year it's going to be even better 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 so 2019 we're anticipating a 20 percent increase in that number we want to get it up to 50 an average watch time for the season of 50 minutes i'm very very excited one of the things that average watch time does is it increases your total viewer minutes. And viewer minutes are the key. So we'll get to that in just a minute, though. Average viewers of the live broadcast, um, total average viewers of the live broadcast, uh, 2016, 14,000. 2017, almost tripled to 40, to, I'm sorry, 14,000. Then almost tripled to 40,000. Then more than doubled to 83,000. We're anticipating another 50% growth to 120,000 viewers per live broadcast in 2019. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're still listening, thank you. If you're not still listening, you didn't hear me say that, which works out perfect. So um, the next thing is total views of live and edited coverage. In 2016, it was a million 2017, it was 5 million. 2018, it was 8.5 million. And 2019, we're anticipating 12 million total views of live and edited coverage up, up, up and away. All right, and that brings us to our last media growth chart that we will be showing to the PDGA at the summit. Uh, we'll have some other stuff where we're talking about uh, the 2018 initiatives, how we did, how they did, what our plans are for 2019, all that good stuff. But this is the last chart for media growth and its total viewer minutes. And basically uh, about 25% of this number is from live viewer minutes and 75% is from edited viewer minutes. Uh, the numbers are, are converging uh, over time, but that's a rough estimate as to where we are um, or where we have been, maybe not where we will be. So in 2016, total viewer minutes was 18 million. That is a lot of people watching disc golf, and that is an impressive number. In 2017, uh, almost six times the number of viewer minutes, 118 million viewer minutes, just to make things even, call it 120. 120 million viewer minutes. That's not crazy. That's wonderful. 2018, another 50% growth to 180 million viewer minutes. And we anticipate doing 
another 30% growth for 2019 to get us over 250 million viewer minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for watching. Thank you for hitting like. Thank you for hitting subscribe. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for hitting that bell. And thank you for enjoying the amazing skills of these athletes. Uh, these men and women are putting on a tremendous show. They're putting their hearts and souls and physical skills on the line each and every week. And it's very fun to watch. So thank you very much for watching. These numbers are the numbers that will push disc golf into the mainstream. And they're the numbers that we are now able to tout because you are watching and you're telling your friends to watch. So a tip of the tuft to you. Thank you. So I, I've got two last things before we close out of this PDGA presentation section. I don't think either of them really belong here, but I think it's worth just taking a second and doing them both. First of all, last week we talked with Chuck Kennedy, and I asked Chuck Kennedy who he thought would win the USDGC. Here's, bear in mind, there's a little bit of a pause between my question and, and his answer while he ponders. So uh, I asked the question, Chuck calculates in his mind, and then he answers. I'm going to let you guys enjoy his answer. Here you go. Right to you, Chuck. Make a prediction for me. Who's going to win the US Open or USDGC? I think Macbeth. I just think, you know, going through four rounds, four four rounds of that grind that he's going to find a way. So a very prescient prediction by Chuck Kennedy. Well done. And I'm going to go ahead and say that was not a, I'm just going to take the number one guy in the world kind of thing. That was a thoughtful uh, answer by Chuck. He he would have been more than happy to say, I think it's a split between Paul Macbeth and insert anybody else here. But he didn't do that. And normally he would do that, except for the fact that he really thought Paul would win. So good on you, Chuck. The second thing that I wanted to just add in here right at the end of this PDGA presentation section is uh, one, one really exciting thing that the PDGA and the Pro Tour are both doing is raising the minimum added cash requirements to Pro Tours, National Tours, and A Tiers. In addition to that, the uh, Pro Tour is actually adding an extra event as well. So um, at the Pro Tour events, there's, there's 10 Pro Tour events, and they have an extra $1,500 added cash uh, that they have to do. So it went from 10500 up to 12000 um, plus there's one new event. So those 10 events plus 1,500 plus the one event plus tw at 12,000, that's $27,000 right there added to the payout next year. Um, that doesn't count all the extra money that we're going to be adding to the Tour Championship, which we'll announce later. Um, the NTs have, uh, well, it's interesting because NTs in general, they, they reach the minimum and, and blow it through, blow through the roof. Um, you, you look at Vegas, you look at GBO, you look at Masters Cup, you look at Beaver State Fling. Those events all have huge added cash, and they're all phenomenal events. So this minimum added cash won't affect them much, but maybe it'll encourage them to give a little bit more. I'm figuring an extra 1,500 times the six events, so an extra 9,000. 
And then uh, additionally, the A tiers have to have additional added cash. Now, while it would be fun to say across 100 A tiers, there's an extra $1,000, so in a total of $100,000 payout, that doesn't make sense for the average touring pro who at best could play 30 if he wanted to fill every weekend, but realistically maybe plays 20 A tiers um, to round out his season of 30 to 40 events. And uh, an ex- just an extra $1,000 at each eight tier, though, adds another 20000 All told, that's about $50,000. Uh, it's actually over $50,000 added to the purse purses of the events that the touring pros go to. So uh, thank you, Pro Tour. Thank you, PDGA, uh, continuing to push the envelope. And thank you mostly to all of the tournament directors who look at this and say, yes, that is what I want to aspire to. I want to push the sport forward. I want the touring pros to be able to do better than rice and beans. (laughs) I love rice and beans, but uh, I'd love the touring pros to be able to have a choice as to whether they eat rice and beans or not. Um, So those were the extra two little things. And with that, now we're going to move into the power rankings, and that's coming up next. So the last couple of weeks, we've had really good conversations, first with Nathan Hayden, the guy doing the programming of the power rankings, uh, also with Paul Ulibari about his view of rankings versus ratings. Last week, we had a great conversation, actually two great conversations, one MPO, one FPO, with Chuck Kennedy. I highly recommend you go back and listen to those podcasts if you care at all about PDGA ratings or rankings or world rankings or power rankings or NT rankings or Pro Tour rankings or whatever the rankings or player of the year. There's all sorts of different rankings methods for disc golf. And uh, the power rankings is now officially complete. Uh, We have, and I'll tell you who is number one. And if you thought it was somebody else, it will surprise you. So every time I always hear people say, and it might surprise you, I'm like, yes, if I had it wrong, it would surprise me. But I just want to run through real quick how we do the calculations, and then we will tell you who is number one. So uh, on the men's and the women's side, uh, and they both might surprise you. It depends what you think. So who knows? Anyway, the way we do these calculations is the first step is to figure out uh, what players might be able to be in the rankings. And so uh, we calculate everybody's win and wins and losses against last week's top 25 players in the world on the men's side. Uh, I think it's top 15 on the women's side. It might be top 10. Um, once that's done, we give everybody, you, you count up the number of wins, the number of losses, the number of ties, and you add a little multiplier uh, for each event that they play. And then you sort all those people by that total number of points, counting wins and losses and ties is one point each, and then the event is two to five, depending on what type of event it is. And then you sort everybody by those points. We call those qualifying points. That, excuse me, the top 50 uh, earn, uh, the top 50 in qualifying points are considered uh, 100% qualified to have power rankings. If you're outside that, so if you're 51st, so if the 50th ranked guy has 
has 100 qualifying points and the 51st ranked guy has 98 qualifying points, then the, the 51st guy, who's just two qualifying points below, will get a 2% deduction in his overall win percentage uh, because he doesn't have quite enough stats to make his numbers uh, valid. And so we just assume the worst and knock you down. As you get more and more qualifying points, you'll naturally get those that 2% back, and you will naturally rise up the rankings, a la Calvin Heimberg. So the, uh, then, then we sort by uh, win-loss percentage against the top 25 in the world. We do an iteration then because obviously the top 25 might change based on that. And so we do two iterations on that to figure out who the top 25 are. And then voila, out comes the, uh, the power rankings, which are the win and loss percentages against players. I'm just talking about the men here, uh, against players in the top 25. So, for example, the 25th ranked player is A.J. Risley. So if you, have a, if you beat A.J. Risley, you get a win. If you lose to A.J. Risley, you get a loss. Um, the number one ranked player, where's the drum roll? I wonder if I just put a drum roll in there. Hopefully, well, we'll see. It's kind of late. Anyway, the number one ranked player against the top 25 players in the world has 633 wins, 51 losses, and 24 ties for a win percentage of 91.1%. The number two ranked player has 727 wins, 64 losses, and 17 ties for a win percentage of 91.02%, actually 03 if we round it. Just 0.07% behind I did a quick calculation, and that is literally one fewer loss. If he has one fewer loss, he would be ranked first. In first place in 2000, no, right now. So, oh, also, one other thing we do before, (laughs) this is exciting. One other thing we do is events degrade over time. So the USDGC has 100% value. Uh, the events that happened the week before it have lost 2.5%. Uh, the, the GMC, which happened two weeks before it, I think, would have a degradation of 5%. So if you, if you beat um, A.J. Risley, for example, instead of getting uh, one full win, you get 0.95 wins. So beating A.J. now at the USDGC is worth 5% more than beating him at GMC. So, uh, or which was actually pro worlds, I guess. And in fact, the number one plank ranked man uh, right now is Ricky Waisaki. He is literally 0.07% above Paul Macbeth. Paul Macbeth has been climbing and is in the process of catching him. And if Ricky doesn't stop the slide at Hall of Fame or the tour and or the tour championship, he will lose that number one ranked spot. Eagle McMahon is third, uh, 2.5% behind both of them. And I did a quick calculation to see if Eagle managed to win the Hall of Fame 
and the Tour Championship, could he catch those guys? And the answer is no. So uh, as we close out the season, either Ricky Wysocki or Paul McBeth will be ranked number one. Uh, currently in fourth place is Nathan Sexton. In fifth place is Seppo Paiu. Did I mention thank you to Nathan Hayden for making all of this possible? I'm just reading off a list of names as if it's something that just happens magically. But Nathan literally spent the last four months of his life locked in a basement creating this. I'm not quite literally, but anyway, he did a lot, a lot, a lot of work. If you happen to live somewhere in Texas and you know Nathan Hayden, tell him, hey, Nathan, I heard Steve give you a shout out on Pro Tour Talk. Well done. So I think we just said fifth place was Seppo Paiu. Uh, in sixth is Simon Lazat. In seventh is James Conrad. In eighth is Greg Barsby. Ninth is Kevin Jones. And tenth is Paul Ulibarri. And there you have our current top ten. And uh, I'm really proud of that list. I think it is very accurate to what we've seen over the last 40 weeks. Um, it is not a, uh, a grab them by the hip and make a move kind of ranking system. It does take time to filter up and to filter down. And on the women's side, potentially less of a surprise, Paige Pierce is ranked number one with 226 wins, 12 losses, and two ties for a 94.6% win percentage. Sarah Holcomb's in second, uh, about 8% behind. Uh, Katrina Allen is third. Paige Bjorkus is fourth. Lisa Fakus is fifth. Um, Jessica Weiss, Madison Walker, Holly Finley, Rebecca Cox, and Kristen Tatar round out the top ten. And, uh, and there you have it. Uh, one thing to note, um, Kristen Tatar only has uh, 78% of the lowest qualifying, percent, qualifying points. So she actually has a, uh, a much higher, uh, her win percentage, which actually put her ranked in third. But because of the qualifying points multiplier, uh, reducing her adjusted win percentage, she actually only she falls down into tenth, but the way she's been playing over the last few uh, few weeks and months would actually have her ranked third if she just plays enough events. Um, the other person uh, in a similar boat is Jennifer Allen, uh, who would actually be in uh, in seventh place if she had more qualifying events. And there you have it. That is our power rankings for the week. While we're watching the Hall of Fame, if Paul McBeth beats Ricky Wysocki by one place or more, he will be our number one ranked player next week. If Ricky beats Paul or ties Paul, they will maintain, and Ricky will have just the slightest of leads. So, two events left uh, for the power rankings for the season. Uh, presuming none of the Texas events, like there's some Texas A-tiers, I think, that happen. Um, or there's another throw down the mountain in the fall event. I don't know the name of it. Uh, those events might qualify. It depends how many touring pros go to those events. But uh, 
realistically, we have two events left for these guys to make their move to become the number one player of the season. That's it for the power rankings. We've got two other little announcements to make, and then we will wrap up Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. So last year, the Pro Tour teamed up with Zuka to raise close to $5,000 for breast cancer awareness. And this year, we are teaming up with Zuka and Throw Pink. And we will be raffling off a Throw Pink Anaconda, Anaconda Zuka cart at the Tour Championship and then at each of the 11 events next season. And all of this money will be going to... Uh, breast cancer awareness, breast cancer cures, and to other women's initiatives uh, that Throw Pink is putting their weight behind. So a tip of the tuft to Throw Pink, a tip of the tuft to Zuka, and a tip of the tuft to everybody that buys a raffle ticket. Raffle tickets are done. We're doing them differently this year. We're just raffling off five raffle tickets total, and each raffle ticket is $100. And one of the five people will walk away with a, well, actually, we'll ship it to you, um, a pink Anaconda Zuka cart. Um, This is a a $400 cart. And in addition to the cart, we are going to have the the lead FPO card at the Tour Championship, the final FPO card, and the final MPO card sign a thank you note and include that with your Zuka card if you win it. If you don't win it, you'll still get the thank you card because thank you. This kind of thing matters. Over the course of the season, we'll be raising over $6,000. Next tour championship, we'll invite other companies to join us and help raise even more money. And uh, this is the kind of thing that makes us all feel really good. And uh, thank you for your support, and I look forward to right before the finals on Sunday, October 21st, uh, we'll do the drawing. One of the five people will win, and we'll make that announcement, and then we will go into the final round of the season. So what a great way to finish uh, by giving and by getting. We give to throw pink and we get by watching the players entertain us. So thank you all for listening. This has been Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. Don't forget, October 18th to 21st is our Tour Championship. It's our third Tour Championship. Paul McBeth won the first one. Ricky Wysocki won the second one. And on the men's side, on the women's side, Katrina Allen won the first one, and Paige Pierce won the second one. Let's see who wins on both sides. Remember, live coverage 12 to 6 every day, Thursday through Sunday. Edited shot-by-shot coverage comes out the next day of one card on Thursday and then two cards uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday coming out the following day. This has been Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. If you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a review. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and tell a friend about it. Let's spread the word about disc golf. Thank you all very much. Have a great night.
Yeah! yeah.